This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, A Bohemian Experience. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today we have two extraordinary guests who have traveled from one of my favorite countries to discuss their entrepreneurial journeys. Many of you might not know that one of the pillars of The Woman Behind the Business is to bridge the gap between women business owners globally. Why, you might ask? Well, mainly because no matter where you are in the world, you're not alone on your quest for success. For instance, our first guest is a psychologist who hails from the beautiful island of Nassau, Bahamas, where she is the co-founder of a nonprofit designed to strengthen individuals' mental and wellness health. Dr. Giovanna Jones, or as I call her, Dr. Gia is also currently on tour for her latest book, The Strong One, a guide for those who are expected to always be there for everyone else to lean on. She proudly totes her Christian walk and allows her faith to play the leading role in her life as mom, wife, daughter, sister, and friend. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gia. Thank you so much for having me, Angel. Absolutely. So I'm so excited to have you with me in studio. Um, This is like seeing your dreams realize, Um, watching women from other countries unite to share their stories unapologetically is everything that the woman behind the business is supposed to be. So thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Now, as a child, I hated being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I'm curious to know how you envisioned your life as a child. So I think at some point I was uh, driven to be a teacher Mm -hmm. and um, that would have definitely been by the models in my family. Both of my grandparents, grandmothers were teachers. And then at one point I was like, I'm going to be an accountant or something in business because my mom was not quite an accountant, but she did a lot of bookkeeping and that kind of work. So um, never, she didn't actually do any kind of university training. So she never really got to that level of full accountant status, but it was always been dealing with books. And then I fell in love with biology. I don't know. I was good at it in senior high school. And I figured I would do something, except I didn't want to be a medical doctor. So somewhere between 11th, 12th grade, I found out about psychology um, when I had an undeclared major in my first year in university. And then I took some psychology courses and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a psych major and I'm going to be a neuropsychologist. (laughs) Because, <laughs> you know, I have to do the bio the part extra. of it. Yes, so to be extra. I didn't get to go to the school that I wanted to. Um, and so I wasn't able to pursue that particular program. But by the time as I got really into, you know, like coursework, then I was like, okay, I like the psychology. I like this counseling thing. So to say that I knew what I wanted to be, that I had dreamed of being a psychologist. No, I didn't even know what that was as a child, (laughs) not even as a teenager. I think that just emerged from the path and the process, um, particularly from my own strengths in terms of how I was, you know, advisor for everybody and really everybody's friend and that kind of thing. So it's like, I think I should, you know, help people. So you kind of suffered from the strong one complex. Oh, yeah. Strong one was written because I lived it (laughs) and still live it sometimes, you know, still finding my space and balancing life and learning that no is a complete sentence and, you know, taking time and self-care and those kinds of stuff. So um, definitely that was written by a strong one for strong ones because I live the plight. Now, talk to us a little bit about what um, the idea of being the strong one is. So the idea is the superwoman complex. Complex. It is literally this space of we as women are told that we you know, must keep it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be externally put together because if you're not, then, you know, there's going to be some kind of lashback. You have to be high, um, you know, high achieving. And particularly now with um, us, you know, boss 
girls and you know girl black girl magic and mm-hmm. rocket and everything so we got to be at the top of our game and whatever it is um whether it's entrepreneurial or um on you know on traditional work in traditional work and then we also have to be super amazing wives or partners and mothers mm-hmm. and so with this this idea that we always have our cape on that we are always saving somebody else that we are being this rock this support um and that we are in many ways, you know, like we have to be perfect. Um, and that to show weakness or to say that I can't do it or to have a moment where you fail is to almost be less than. Mm-hmm. And so we get caught in these cycles of doing, doing, doing and being, being, being and trying, trying, trying. And then we end up, like I say, depleted, burnt out, um, just kind of almost disenchanted with life or whatever the role is in that moment, whether it is, you know, I'm just tired of being a mom because everybody always needs me and I'm being dry, suck dry, um, or just, you know, hating aspects of our life because we feel unfulfilled because we haven't been necessarily taking the breaks and setting boundaries and just being um, more healthy and intentional about our own self. So when you are the strong one, who do you get to lean on? And that's just it. Most of us, even as strong ones, we have other strong ones that we could lean on. But in many instances, we don't. Because I know for me, it was like, I don't, people come to me. I don't want them to think that I have a problem, that I'm <laughs> weak. You know, I'm like, I can't, I can't tell them that. And so even though we may have girlfriends, husbands, um, you know, other connections that we can share with, we're like, wait. Do I really want to like let them know that I'm flawed? Like, so is it that the strong ones have a complex of being vulnerable? Oh yeah, and I think in some instances people will see themselves at different points and be able to point out what it is. Um, but for sure, there is definitely vulnerability is seen as weakness, mm-hmm. and weakness is not desirable. Praised. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not praised. Definitely not praised. No. So in your book, um, I think it's at the the very beginning of the book or somewhere in the middle, Mm -hmm. um, you talk about kind of the roles and how you kind of fall in alignment um, in your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was just very interesting how you incorporated and how, you know, there are all the and and I'll allow you to talk and expand upon like Mm -hmm. those different roles, but how those roles kind of play a part in like ultimately when you're grown and how you maneuver with relationships with others. Mm-hmm. So share a little bit with us about those different roles that, you know, you automatically kind of come in or birthed into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that's tied to birth order in mm-hmm. terms of where, you know, what order you come um, as a eldest child, um, eldest child for my mom and biological father. And then when they divorced, my mom remarried and we kind of formed a Brady Bunch for those who are listening who knows the Brady Bunch reference because my <laughs> students usually don't. Um, you know, my brother who is, we are paired. So it is myself and my brother who we are about five months apart. And so he's technically older than me, but I'm literally more mature than him. So I am the <laughs> eldest and I'm not disrespecting the man. It's just the way it is. Love my big bro. Um, and so I ended up being big sister and big sister meant, um, you know, having to take on all of these different roles in terms of with younger siblings. Um, and then it also meant taking responsibility for friends. Like, like when I didn't need to, it was just a thing. And even if they were older than me, you know, still in our age set in terms of grade level. Um, but I just, it's just emerged where I just felt responsible in mm-hmm. so many ways for others and their care and ensuring that, you know, they're making good decisions and doing all of this stuff. And so um I also, my grandmother um was, is an, a, She's amazing in terms of all that she's achieved. And so she was grooming me before I even realized it to be this amazing kind of kick butt, you know, boss lady kind of thing. Um, and what I remember is, you know, she was like, you know, you just got to always keep it together. And these are messages that she didn't necessarily actually say to me, mm-hmm. but this is what I saw. And then this is definitely what she reinforced. So mm-hmm. I got treats when I was at the top of my game academically, when I spoke well, when I did well, when I kept everything together, when I didn't have emotional moments. And so all of this kind of, so being the best and perfect granddaughter, 
being the eldest child, um, being in class, the overachiever and the person who pulled things together. Mm-hmm. Those were the things. And then they just spiraled and blossomed into my adult life. And then, you know, just these five million roles that I'm just like, OK, I'm a leader here and I'm a leader there. And <laughs> Everywhere. Do this. Yeah. Now, I know we were talking about it from the perspective of you, your grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, so grandmother, granddaughter type of relationship. Mm-hmm. How... Now I'm going to ask you to tap into your uh, psychologist Mm -hmm. uh, hat. How are you or should you manage those roles in young boys? Because a lot of times, like one of the things you were saying, you got to hold it together. You got to be strong. You got to be this. And I think for one thing, I think moms and grandmothers definitely put in extra work to ensure that their child, their daughters are independent, that they don't have to depend on a man, (laughs) you know, that you can stand on your own. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're raising a man, how do you make sure that you allow them to show different vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. without making them look weak or where people are going to talk about them and say, okay, well, you're metrosexual or you're this or you're that. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage people to handle that? So I think part of it is raising. So there's no question about it. Boys are raised differently than girls. That is across cultures. um, That research shows that. But I think we do a disservice when we do that. um, So intentionally, if it, kind of falls in that way because you have a more rambunctious boy and so you, you know, respond a little differently. That's a, that's okay. But I think a lot of times we set out to actually train our boys differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I see a lot of times is moms coddling their boys to, and it's not necessarily even coddling them to say make them mama's boys, but it's almost like you have to serve them and take care of them. Mm-hmm. And so our men um, sometimes grow up with the mentality that somebody is going to be there to support and take care of them. Preach, girl, because, preach. you know, that's what they got. <laughs> and so um, it's a disservice when we don't encourage our boys to take on equal tasks in terms of household. Um, and I think of my household and we had, even though I was the more mature, haha, uh, we still had to do the same thing. So my brother and I both had responsibilities for cooking, for cleaning, for washing dishes, for monitoring the kids. He just was able to sneak out of a lot of it faster than um, or easier than I could. Um, and again, that's because of the boy girl thing. Yeah, so yeah. I agree. Um, he had way more freedoms than I did. But at the end of the day, um, he still understood responsibility and knew and can take care of himself on his own. He can cook for himself, can clean, can keep a house, keep a house. And so, unfortunately, what we do is by not kind of teaching them, you know, that these things are not women things. You know, mm-hmm. the the self care mm-hmm. and not sorry, not self care, but the home care um, and managing a household is not a woman's thing. That it's a thing that needs to happen if you have a house, regardless, right? <laughs> um, that we, you know, they grow up with the sense of that's not my responsibility. And then for those that do have more of the inclination to manage home or are more sensitive to the emotions, then unfortunately we have the stigma surrounding it. The thing that um, I cringe every time I hear it is when a boy falls as a little boy and they're like, oh, man up, you don't cry. Boys don't cry for that. And I'm like, but crying is an indication that he's hurt. And if he fell down and he scratched his foot or he hurt it, he's hurt. So just how we allow the girl to cry, we should allow him to cry because he's now responding appropriately to a situation that is painful. Okay, so here's what I beg to, to differ. <laughs> and this is because, and not okay, if he falls and he hurts himself mm-hmm. and he cries, mm-hmm. and it's a natural mm-hmm. response, mm-hmm. I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen is that some kids will put on a show oh. because they know what response crying will okay. create. Okay, yeah. Now, when that happens... I need you to get up yeah. now. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. For sure. No, no. I I, I meant literally like I, if they're hurt, yeah. yes. Okay, I'm Yeah, no, no, okay. no. I have seen I have seen some and the moms carry their boys rough um, and, you know, they're like bleeding and it, it hurts. You know, it's like outside on the pavement and it's like, psh, and we're like, but he's hurt. Like, you know, I understand. Right. You know, but but no, no, no. I'm not talking about feeding into theatrics okay. and yeah, and yeah. getting attention. No, the no. craziness. No. Yeah, no. Now, I feel as though there are a number of stigmas that 
um, kind of go along with receiving psychological help. Mm-hmm. What are some of the frequent reasons that you hear that people don't seek assistance from counselors? Black people don't need therapy. And it's funny because, so Angel, you introduced me. I'm from the Bahamas and our population is primarily people of color, black persons. And even there it is people, like I literally have person sometimes say and they say it offhandedly and jokingly and I'm like no don't say that because you're diminishing the value of it but they're like oh that's white people stuff and I'm like how is having a safe space to talk and work through problems something that is based on a particular race or an ethnicity Mm -hmm. like it just doesn't make sense so that's one the other thing is um, unfortunately in our country we do not insurance doesn't cover it um, sufficiently not all insurance covers it and then if they do they may only cover up to three sessions per year which is like Mm -hmm. nothing Um, so then um, cost is an impediment because really when I have to organize my daily bills and what's required and my needs, I'm not going to prioritize a session with a therapist. Mm -hmm. So aside from, you know, it just being a thing that's not for people like us, quote unquote, then it's the finances um, and then it's the trust. Um, And I literally just had a new client come to me and she, we didn't even have a session. It was just a consultation. And she said, she messaged me back and she was like, you know, my friends fussed me for coming because they were like, how could you trust a stranger with all of, you know, everything that went on in your life? And she was like, she didn't even know how to respond, but she felt like it was a good connection and that it was going to be a good thing for her because she's been in pain for so long, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I... you know, applauded her for her strength for coming, despite that, you know, I am a stranger and that it's not something that's looked upon. So for us, um, the stigma is around having people in your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, no, you don't you don't go to that person because you can't trust everyone. And um, these are the things that should just stay in your family or stay with you in your house, in your house. And you just, <laughs> you know, you just kind of rot with it. Um, so, yeah, it's those three things. Um And then the other thing, the other stigma would be, it's almost like you're weak if you have to seek help. So set aside, you know, the cost um, and the trusting the other person. It's almost like, why can't you handle your own stuff? Mm -hmm. Like literally people are like, why do I have to come to somebody? Why can't I handle it myself? You know, your profession wasn't around forever. People have been having to manage their stuff all the time. So why can't I do it? And, you know. In response to that, as you probably can, but it's probably in an ineffective way that's leading you, you know, deeper into cycles that are, you know, not wholesome for you mm-hmm. and, a, and a lifestyle that is, you know, imbalanced and um, unregulated and just unhealthy. And so it's kind of like you go to a doctor when you are physically ill mm-hmm. and, you know, that's not a weakness that you need a med- medical intervention. And so our mind is just as important. In fact, most of what we feel is because it's interpreted by our mind, you know, our brain and, and everything that goes on there. And so I feel like we just don't put enough value in it. Now, one of the things that I wanted to interrupt you, but I didn't want to interrupt you, um, we talk about not wanting other people in our business. And truthfully, for me, I feel like sometimes you can get the best free counseling sessions by just going into a random place, venting with some random person that don't know you, that you probably ain't never going to see again. And just being completely transparent Mm -hmm. with like, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, what you're saying is, yes, like a lot of times we feel as though, you know, we should be able to deal with these things on our own and people pass those judgments. But the truth of the matter is there is somebody that you dump on. Or I think you right. you say projectile or vomit. I, I, yeah, I call it something. vomit, emotional vomiting too. Yeah. <laughs> but there's somebody that yeah. you do that to. It is. Yeah. Regardless, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, there's somebody that you disengage with mm-hmm. and you you just kind of let all of your problems out and you leave them there. Now I think that most of the times the strong ones, we carry that with us. Yeah. We hold on to it because we're so invested in like, and we're thinking about like, how can we help this person? How can we, you know, come back to them with some type of response where they know that they're not alone and they're like, yo, you remembered and and you're actually coming to me with a potential solution. So, you know, I, I think that it's very empowering 
um, to be able to have these conversations, one, mm-hmm. but two, how do you know that it's time to seek counsel? And that's tricky because I would suggest that you should have some kind of support. Mm-hmm. Does it always mean um, a therapist? Maybe not. Um, but we've got we've you know the world of coaching has blossomed, and we have so many of them. And if you do regular check ins just to ensure that there is some support and outlet and someone who is objective to you, um, not tied to you emotionally, who can give you feedback in terms of where you're at and where you're going. For me, that is very important to us as growing, always achieving, striving individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to true psychological help, you want to make sure you get to it before you get to the point where you've given up, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and most times that's when we get the calls is when it's like, I just, I can't do it anymore. I can't push to get out of bed anymore. I, I'm moving around, but I feel nothing. Um, I, I just feel like I want to, you know, and then it spirals down into more suicidal thoughts and ideations and that kind of thing. But you want to, you want, there's a there's a place where when you start seeing that you're not progressing, like emotionally, you just feel stuck, empty, dead. Um, before you get to that point, it should be the space where you're like, okay, maybe, maybe I should go and talk to somebody about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that if you've experienced something traumatic, that having a conversation and having sessions should follow up fairly immediately. Um, it doesn't have to be while you're still grieving the experience, but I would say, and you know, no one, I can't say how long your, your grieving mm-hmm. time is going to be, but you know, within a month, two months after that experience, just to have somebody to process with, mm-hmm. you know, just who's not invested mm-hmm. in, in you emotionally, because we can be great counseling support to our family and our friends, but because we love them, sometimes we still can't see their blind spots. Sometimes we can't um, ask the questions that they need to be asked in order for them to, you know, think about something a different way, mm-hmm. um, for them to formulate a an ex- a way to go about it, or you just may lack the skills that it requires in order to give that person. And it's not so even not so much advice. More times than not, it is recommendations and suggestions in terms of lifestyle choices and changes and behaviors, um, monitoring and writing and exercising and journaling and you know those activities that are going to support you day to day that are going to replace the drinking and the smoking and the you know some of the other kind of um, unhealthy. Crutches. Yeah. Crutches, mm-hmm. literally crutches, these unhealthy behaviors that we engage in. Now, my last question before we go into our legal minutes, um, I feel as though um, being the strong one, we often feel good. It makes us feel needed. It makes yeah. us feel um, like there's people who desire to share things only with us, mm-hmm. right? But then there comes a point in time when you're holding on to so much, you're carrying the burdens of so many, and then life happens for you. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like, who do you turn to? Right. So how do you maneuver when you're used to being that go-to person, and then all of a sudden you're like, yo, it's either you or me, I need <laughs> and somebody. I choose me, yeah. right? Yeah. So how do you maneuver through that? So again, for me, it is recognizing now that you're already in what I call one-way relationships and trying to create dual carriageways. So trying to see who in your circle that you are already a friend to that is willing and you are comfortable with, that you trust, so that you are able to begin the process of sharing. Because one of the things that we don't realize is if we continue to not say anything and to be okay, people are eventually just going to stop asking if you're okay because they're going to assume you're, you're always okay. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, she's good. You know, and I've heard people say, no, no, you don't have to worry about that. But she's good. And I like it. I like the new kind of social media thing where it's like, check on your friends too strongly. You know, I see it a lot now. Um, and I think it's super important because the, it is those ones who we usually don't ask about Mm -hmm. that we don't understand 
all that they're carrying mm-hmm. and the depth of their need until they unfortunately crash. Mm-hmm. And then their crash kind of almost shakes some of our humanity because it's like, wait, if she or he can like have that experience, then, you know. It humanizes. Right. <laughs> everything like everything it like and it and unfortunately you're right um i talk about it in the book that i think at some point i stopped even thinking that i was going to need help because i took great pride in being the strong one and being the one that everybody thought had it all together Mm -hmm. um and even sometimes now when people give me compliments about you know all i'm doing i have to check myself and i'm like whoa 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 whoa, mm -mm, mm -mm, don't even (laughs) don't even let that get to that part of your head where you're gonna like start building upon that like slow it down recognize that you're not superwoman you may be amazing i'm amazing you're amazing angel you know we all are amazing in our different roles but you know i still need people i still have my moments many moments. Um, (laughs) You know, things aren't perfect, even though it may seem that I have it all together. And I'm a human. And I need my sisters, my girlfriends, my network, my siblings, my mom, you know, I need them as much as they need me. And I think that's a a beautiful way to end this segment, Um, especially when I don't think we always tell them. Mm -hmm. The strong ones, we rarely reach out and say, you know what? I appreciate you. I need you. Um, it may be in our own little way. We do. Mm-hmm. We show it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rare that we just come out and say, right. you know, I need you. So thank you so much for being with us and sharing your journey with us. Um, her book is titled The Strong One. It's available on Amazon. Uh, a little later in the show, we'll give out some social media information. And now we're going to get ready for our legal minutes And after that, we'll introduce you to the woman behind WOW, Wells of Wealth Cultivators. Stay with us. Welcome to the WBB Legal Minute featuring Nyasha West. She's the principal attorney at West Law Firm, where she specializes in business law and family law and bankruptcy. Today, we're going to have a quick conversation about the different ways to get your business established. Now, Nayasha, what are those different entities that you can choose from when it comes time to establish your business? The most popular entities that most business owners um, choose to go with when forming their businesses are a sole proprietorship, LLCs, or a corporation. Um, and the entity that you choose depends on what the business is that you're getting into. If you're getting into a business where you'll have very low interaction with the public and therefore very low liability, um, then a sole proprietorship may be a good option for you. Um, if you're getting into any other business where you're going to be interacting with pr- the public, se- um, selling them goods or services, then you would want to choose an LLC or a corporation. Um, and the reason is, is because um, with those entities, the business owner is personally protected. So your assets are personally protected. So if I have a business and my business is a store and somebody comes into my store and slips and falls, if I have an LLC or a corporation, the person who slipped and fell would sue the company and they wouldn't sue me. Mm-hmm. So what this means is that my house and my personal assets are protected and they would be limited to the assets of the of the, the company. company. Yes. Okay. Now, really quickly, what's the difference between an S corp and a corp? So an S corp is a corporation that doesn't have self-employment taxes. Um, whereas a corporation has a whole host of other um of other taxes that the um, business would have to pay. Um, the biggest problem, not problem, but with uh, C corporations, um, the business owner may be subjected to double taxation mm-hmm. um, on their dividends. With the S corp, um, they wouldn't be subjected to double taxation. Okay. All right. Wonderful. This was great. Thank you so much for sharing this legal minute with us. You're welcome. All right. To learn more, how do people get in contact with you? You can contact me at the Westlaw firm. My website address is nawestlaw.com or my telephone number is 301-798-4100. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And stay tuned for the rest of The Woman Behind the Business. 
Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis. And we just wrapped up a conversation with Dr. Gia, co-founder of Stories of Hope. Now, Rhea Newbald also hails from the beautiful island of Nassau, Bahamas, and she is a force to be reckoned with. She is a prolific writer of eight books, the founder of WOW, and she has made it her life's purpose to help women look within themselves to unlock the dormant gifts, talents, and abilities in order to create a life of purpose and profit. She is also the host of The Ideal Life, where she sews into her guests to equip them with the tools to be independent and successful. Welcome to the show, Ria. Thank you for having me, Angel. Absolutely. Now, Ria, it's very evident that you've learned how to identify your audience and provide them a service, cultivate them. How do you do it? What what is your secret formula for being able to connect with your audience and just saying, like, this is who I am. This is what I offer. Come get it. The actual, I mean, for me to go ahead and connect with the audience, I think it's it's something that actually comes naturally for me. I find that I am surrounded by a whole lot of women that would have come to me in times past simply, you know, asking, constantly asking or even saying, you know, something, well, I need this extra income stream or I I, I know that there's something that I need to do and I just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's where the conversation actually begins saying, you know, well, okay, well, how, what is it that you have in your hand? What is it that you can do? Um, It's not something that's so far fetched that because a lot of times I've found that a lot of persons have come um, and they're thinking that the opportunities are so far out of reach from where it is that they are. But it's when you have that conversation with them, you realize that it's something that's right within their hands. And that's where, and even through just through um, persons having conversations with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, something will maybe you need to check Rhea out. Mm-hmm. And even the opportunities with being on the radio, persons would have listened to the show and would have heard some of the conversations that we would have had mm-hmm. um, with some of the former guests on the show. So that's pretty much how we get to streamline with having the conversations with the women and being able to give them direction. Now, one of the things that you first mentioned is actually one of your books. Um, talk to us a little bit about the book where you help people um generate multiple streams of income. What's the title and how do you help women and men Mm -hmm. generate multiple streams of income? So that particular book is called How to Make Extra Money, and that is Identify and Create Multiple Income Streams. In that book, it it does not give you the actual thing to do in terms of the actual business, but it actually helps to open your mind to the possibilities of how you can actually start to think about. Um, and, and even one of the things I actually started out with and what caused me to do it, my daughter um, had a conversation with me. And with that conversation, she we were talking about um having to work for people and that kind of stuff. So that started my conversation even with her. And then I went into writing the book. Maybe other persons need to understand what is your why? Mm -hmm. Do you need to stick on the job? And mind you, you know, the job itself is an income stream. And a lot of people don't even think about it as being an income stream as well. But there are other things that you can do. What happens if the job The job failed you. What Mm -hmm. happened if that particular stream actually shuts down? You need to also have other things that you can do so that you can maintain the standard of living that you've been accustomed to living for a period of time. Now, what would you say would be three simple things that you should at least keep top of mind? Like we call these like low hanging fruit. Right. What are some things that you that are tangible that you either love to do hobbies, you know, things that are right in your circle? So what would you say would be three things that you would recommend to people when helping them identify what are some things that are right there in your toolkit? that are natural, innate gifts that you should be tapping into? Well, the first thing I usually tell people is, what is it that people normally come to you for? That's the easiest thing for you to um, find your way into an, an additional income stream because, and something as simple as for those of us, I mean, you to be talk, we're from the Bahamas. So um, it may be uh, a lot of persons talk about the, the hair braiding and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If it's something as simple as that, the thing that people come to you for, um, you also mentioned it, the thing that you love, the thing that you enjoy doing, the thing that is your hobby. Those are very low hanging fruits that you don't necessarily um have to go far to look for. Also, the other thing that I like to tell people, and this is something that I found myself doing, the thing that keeps you up where sleep is not a factor. Mm -hmm. 
that's a very easy low-hanging fruit. Um, a lot of persons may not even know, even back home, I Listen, when it come time to making jewelry, I could sit up until four o'clock in the morning, not realize it is four o'clock in the morning <laughs> and still had to go to work <laughs> for 830. <laughs> but yet again, because it gave me a space, it gave me um, room to be free, be creative and just allow myself mm-hmm. to just um, it was an escape space. Mm-hmm. I think I could use that. That mm-hmm. was my escape to mm-hmm. sit and just be able to create. So if you have that escape and you have that thing that can, where sleep does not become a factor for you, I think that may be a good indication as to what it is that you can do. I love it. Now, you also have penned seven other books, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what was your, um, the push book, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that- Right? Push Wasn't book. that your first book? That was the first one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about PUSH and what it stands for. Okay. So the book is called It's Time to Push, mm-hmm. P-U-S-H, Be Persistent Under Supernatural Heat and Give Birth to Your Ministry. That book actually came about... It really wasn't intended to be a book when I started to write it. Um, it was at, at the time when I was walking down the stairs at home and Holy Spirit said to me to begin to write your message. Now, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to, this is a sermon I'm going to preach one day, you know, and I started to write. And as I started the process of writing, I realized, okay, I couldn't stop from writing. And I just kept on writing. And in a matter of six weeks, the book was written. And that book, I mean, it has, from since it was written and it continues to do so today, as much as I thought that it would have been something that that, that spoke to women, because it actually, the front cover of the book actually has a, a pregnant birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually has a, a, a an image of a woman with the, the pregnant belly and um I've had a whole lot of men that actually came back to me and said how it has impacted their lives. Um, in the book, I actually it, it gives the analogy of natural birth and spiritual birth. So I would have talked about the whole faith journey. I talked about, um, and even as you you, you were, we were talking about having some of the valley moments um, and how we can learn from the lessons. Mm-hmm. And for those persons that are mothers that's listening under the sound of my voice, you know what it is. When the the heat, when the pressures of life become so much and it becomes so heavy for you to wear, um, when you are in that labor room and the doctor says to you, okay, it's time, it's time to push. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You do not, um, it doesn't matter who's to the left, it doesn't matter who's to the right, but you know one thing, that you're focused on this one thing and you have to give birth. Mm -hmm. So no matter what the life's situation, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what it is, you continue to push, and that has become my life's message, my life story. Every time I see the word push, something just births in me. Like, oh my god! Like, why is this everywhere that I look? Why am I seeing this? <laughs> right, but yet again, it is it is something that I had to to actually live through. And one of the things that I want to even touch on, one of the things I touched on in the book, is talking about the lessons that I would have learned even from my son at the time. He was five years old, and I love to tell this story when I talk about the book. And he's 18 now, right? Yes, he's 18. He's 18 now. And he said to me, he said, he, he came to me in the kitchen one day, and he said, Mommy, what are you having? I said, um, I don't know. Um, I said, well, I have to wait until I, I, I give birth in order to see what it is that I'm having. He said, no, Mommy. He was five at the time, standing up at the kitchen counter. He said, no, mommy. He said, mommy, what are you having? I said, OJ, I don't know. I do not know. I have to wait until the baby is born and then I'll be able to tell you. And then we'll see. He looked at me and he had his finger up like this. And he said, mommy, I'm going to ask you this question one more time. He said, didn't I tell you I asked God to give me a little sister? So he says, what are you having? I said, OJ, I'm having your little sister. He said, that's the correct answer. He, in that moment, and you know something, you said that he's 18 now and he has been testing me, (laughs) testing me because of his faith. Right, right. Because of his faith. And and it is the gift of faith that he has. But he has the belief that, you know something, if he asks God for something, he's going to get it. Mm -hmm. And the lesson in that for me is it it took the child, the childlike faith for him to say to his mommy, mommy, what did I say? 
what did I tell you that God was going to give me? And he did it. When we went to have the scan done at the doctor's office, he was there. And the doctor says, um, so what is it? Do you want to know what it is that you're having? I looked at my husband and we were like, he said, yes. <laughs> at the age of five, he said, yes. And then she went ahead. She's like, do you all agree? I said, yeah, go ahead. When she went ahead and did it, she, he, she said to him, she said, do you know what you're having? He said, yes, I know. So when she went ahead and she did what she had to do to check, and she said, okay, you're having your little sister. He said, yes, I know, because I prayed and I asked God for a little sister. In the midst of everything, in the midst of the situations, the circumstances yet again, um, take the time out to even listen to our children. Mm-hmm. Because they can be giving us lessons, lessons that we can learn from them. Do not discount the voice of a child speaking to you. So for whoever it is that's listening to me, do not discount the voices of your children. Especially if you know that you would have trained them and you would have raised them up. In the, in the way right in which they should go. That's right. Now, you know, when you hear people talk about wanting to do more, mm-hmm. wanting more out of life, you know, feeling like they're stuck in a career, but they're not doing anything. What would be your words to motivate them to get started in doing something different? Um, the word to, to to get them motivated and get them doing something would pretty much be to um, get started. If you want to do something different, you have to get started. And usually when it comes to having that part, part of the conversation with them, I would challenge them to write out what it is that you want. You have to write it out so that you can see it and then be able to target each one of those goals, mm-hmm. set goals and set the realistic goals. Um, being able to set something that's unrealistic doesn't help. Set some goals and then also find yourself an accountability partner because a lot of times we can go ahead and set goals and, you know, life happens. Mm-hmm. And then we we just came out of New Year's. So you would have persons saying, well, you know, something I'm going to set some New Year, New Year resolutions and things like that. And then nothing still happens. Mm-hmm. Find that accountability partner, someone who's going to hold you to what it is that you say that you're going to go ahead and do, and then you make sure that you do it. Mm-hmm. And and that's how you would keep that momentum going, even if it means that you find yourself a mentor, find yourself a coach. Because sometimes the friends won't tell you the hard things. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, I know I have, I have people around me that, I know, know, I <laughs> that tell me the hard things. And it's not always what I want to hear, right. um, but it's necessary. We need to have those kinds of voices around us so that we can get out that place that may be a rut for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we need to realize that we may not even realize it for ourselves that we are in that place of stagnancy and we're not moving. But as the book says, it's time to push. <laughs> right. <laughs> now talk to us a little bit about why you started the WOW movement. And I'm calling it a movement intentionally. But why did you decide to start that? Because it is a movement. Uh, the reason why I started it is because I found myself having these um, these individual conversations with a whole lot of women wanting to, well, okay, Rhea, I want to bounce this off of you, but how about, and I, I just found that I was attracting these type of women to me. And um, it was then that I realized, you know something, okay, maybe I just need to create this safe space that women can actually come together and we have the conversation. The, the WOW actually start, stands for Wells of Wealth. I strongly believe that each and every one of us have a whole lot of things that's locked up on the inside of us that really just need to be tapped into so that we can um, be the fullness of who it is that we were created to be. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is. But sometimes, yet again, we need to have that other voice that may say, you know something, Angel, I think... You, you probably need to go into starting a movement. Mm-hmm. I see you are um, um, having a whole lot of women that come to you. You are very influential. The, the, the encouragement that you give to people, it can actually um, um, help to transform, transform the lives of people. Mm-hmm. But it, it may take someone else to see it. Once you are in that safe space or once you're in a space of other women, you can and network too. Because... We can't do it on our own. Mm-hmm. We cannot do it on our own as much as we, we may think that we want to. Um, but that's really what the Wells of Wealth is. It's having that safe space. And it's not just even from the space of networking, because we found even that persons, um, as we talk about the different business ideas, the business concepts that's, uh, that's in the group, many persons need help. Mm-hmm. And they don't know where it is that they can actually reach out to help. 
or reach out for the help. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Wells of Wealth movement is all about, being able to bring together women. And it's not just from business perspective. It's also considering prayer, um, having understanding um, the value of time, what it is that we're supposed to be doing with our time. Um, properly managing time because that there in and of itself time there that's a whole show you know <laughs> what do we do with time management and making sure that we manage our time properly that's one of the things that we also kind of touch on as well um, we also look at the health component Mm-hmm. Because your health is your wealth. I'm sure persons might, might have heard that before. Mm-hmm. But we have to make sure that our health is in order. Where we have the emotional conversations, talking about the, the, the as Dr. Gio would put it, um, the, the psychology side of, of women. We also deal with the physical component, the health aspect, the fitness. Mm-hmm. We need to be aware of all of these things that help to make up the woman. And even still her being the strong one. Now, what would you say, because as I mentioned um, at the very top of the show, Mm -hmm. is that the vision behind the woman behind the business is to bridge the gap between women business owners Mm -hmm. um, globally, right? And the idea was we can't possibly be going through all of these different um, obstacles, the highs, the lows alone. There Mm -hmm. are are other people who are experiencing these things. Mm -hmm. So what would you say... Um, in the Bahamas would be one of your greater obstacles as a woman in business? Mm, The greater obstacle is having the voice of the woman Mm. actually valued. And I think that's 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 one of the things a, a whole lot of the challenge comes in when you would find. Um, and I think that's probably even beyond the Bahamas. The voice of the woman is not very because the woman is actually seen as the weaker, the weaker vessel, if I could put it like that. And that has become a challenge because a lot of men, they, they discredit them for the voices of women. And that has caused a whole lot of women to be silenced. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of women, not they're not actually speaking up because of of. The, the the voices of the of the men actually kind of pressing it down, suppressing mm-hmm. them and not wanting or causing them to kind of fall back in a shell. Mm-hmm. Now, how now my very first question to you was about connecting with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that one of your books talks about um, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh, in pursuit of destiny for the kingdom minded entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um Talk to us a little bit about your um, your vision behind writing that book. Okay, the vision behind In Pursuit of Destiny for the Kingdom-Minded Entrepreneur was to give the entrepreneur the uh, a framework that they can actually have um, prayers. It's actually a book of decrees and declarations that you can actually pray over your business mm. um, and giving you this um, specific scriptures that you can actually use when you are praying over a particular p- component of your business. So it, it, there were not very many books that I could have found, find um, that really gave prayers that spoke specifically to businesses. And that's why I went ahead and wrote that book in pursuit of destiny for the kingdom minded entrepreneur, which is filled with scriptures and the actual prayers that you can pray over your business. So I have, sounds like I need like eight new books. Not, well, I got yours already, <laughs> Dr. G. <laughs> sounds like I need like these eight new books. Um, all right. So this has been amazing. And I can't believe like the same amount of time has already gone by. And it is time for us to get ready for our moments from the Valley, which it sounds like this should be some awesome Valley moments that we're about to hear um, that should really speak to the hearts of all of us and help us through Um, whatever it is that we're dealing with at this particular time. But before we go to that, we're going to listen to a little bit of inspirational music. Um, And then when we return, we'll be hearing from Dr. Gia. Stay with us. There's so many things I've got to tell you, but I'm afraid I don't know how. Cause there's a possibility that you look at me differently, love Ever since the first moment I spoke your name From then on I knew that by you being in my life Things were destined to change cause love Many people use your name in vain. Love, 
Okay, here we go. Dr. Gia, it is on you with your moment from the valley. So the one that I think of was literally a month after we had officially signed the papers for Stories of Hope as a nonprofit. And we wanted to offer some grief workshops, small, um, not quite grief grief counseling, and... um, We secured the space. We did the full promo. Um, We had our support team there. Um, You know, people were like all over the place, like, this is amazing. This is great. And no one showed up. And I was like, wait, what? What? Like we did everything, like everything was laid out perfectly. We had all of the journals for persons to come and not one person showed up. So we had two events. One, we had a small turnout. The next one, we had no one. And for me, that was, I don't know, that was a moment where I had to check myself because I was like, is it me? Are we just doing something wrong? Are people not ready for this? Is this, 
you know, and, you know, our first thing is to take it personally, right? Like, what are, you know, am I just not good enough? Am I not the, you know, psychologist that's supposed to be leading people to, you know, be more aware of their emotional and mental health? And we had to take a step back, Amanda and I, and just look at what the context and the environment and everything was. And I think for me, the lesson from that was that I can't look at people's responses and showing up. I'm doing my part by being there. So I'm not spreading a message that I am not willing to actually be present to live out um, and to offer support for. So if I hear somebody saying, oh, we don't have any emotional support opportunities, I can say, well, you know, I did too at a very pivotal time and, you know, I didn't have those persons there. And so so for me, one lesson was literally, I can't take it personally and I have to continue just doing. So, you know, it takes a little while for things to kind of get going and for people to show up. And I can't allow the one person showing up or the no people showing up to like completely flatline me because I was ready to be like, Mm-mm, I'm not doing this ever again. No, no, no. And she was like, no, we're not taking that attitude. We're not doing that. We're going to sit down. We're going to assess. We're going to see where it was. And then the other side of it for me, was um, really doing a better job understanding my market and um, what people are ready for. So on one side of it, yes, I was willing to show up and present and do something. But on the other side, did I actually, what we didn't do was we didn't um, necessarily poll or survey people to see if this is a format that they were familiar with. We, I didn't have a group of followers or persons that was very, very new in terms of launching um, our brand as Stories of Hope and launching my own brand as Dr. Gia. And so people didn't know me. And so how could they trust me? How would, why would people show up to something that's hosted by someone they have no clue about? So in one side of it, it was the business. Um, we may have jumped too quickly in terms of offering something that we did not understand the space and whether or not we had enough presence for persons to trust us. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, not taking it personally, that, you know, I did, I, we showed up, we had great intentions. We did what we were supposed to do in terms of being present to offer the safe space. Um, and, but it does not detract from my value and it does not detract from the message and the impact that I'm going to have. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) You ready, Maria? <laughs> you ready? Yes. All right, you're up. Um, the valley moment that I that came up um, from me, and I think this is the more meaningful one to me, um, was the death of my father. Now, it was many, many years ago, um, but for me, it was a valley moment because I was daddy's girl. And being daddy's girl for me meant everything. Um, having to go through the process of even understanding, well, why is it that, you know, I would not be able to say that I had my father uh, on my wedding day to give me away. That was very difficult. That was a very difficult space for me to be in. But in the midst of all of it, even being a very, very low point, um, it has taught me a whole lot. Um, and even with finding the strength to be able to move on and be able to embrace who it is that I am and still understanding that, you know, something daddy did his part for the time period that he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still took me to make up my mind that I'm going to um, this is the way I see it. I'm going to make daddy proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that, and, and each of us have our thing that may keep us going when we have that, that low spot or that low space, but I'm going to make my daddy proud. And, you know, the thought is, well, daddy's smiling at you. Daddy's still smiling at you. So in the midst of having the low moment, daddy's still smiling at me and I keep it moving and I keep on yet again, keep on pushing. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been wonderful. Um, I'm sure that somebody has been motivated and encouraged through your valley moments. um, And that's why we do them. 
Um, so thank you so much for being with us here today on the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. Would you like to share your social media information so people can follow and keep up and buy books? Sure. Thank you so much, Angel. So this is Dr. Gia, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Gia Jones, um, for both of them. And I my website is giovannajones.com, and the book, The Strong One, is offered on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback versions. Awesome. All right. This is Rhea. You can find me at RiaCNewbold.com. That's R-I-A-C-N-E-W-B-O-L-D.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Rhea C. Newbold. Then on Instagram, that's Newbold Rhea. And um, I think that's about it for right now. And then also for the um, for the books, you can find all of my books. They're all, all available on Amazon. Three of them are in print. All of them are in ebook format. Awesome. All right. Well, that is our show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. And now all of our shows are available via podcasts on iTunes and Google Podcasts. A special thank you to our show producer, Kyle Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed. Stay blessed.